Another edition of the Sermapod. This is episode five. I'm your host, Rich Lenkov. I'm founder and CEO of Serma, which is the Sports and Entertainment Risk Management Alliance. Check out our information at theserma.org. We're very privileged today to have one of the leaders in the industry, Chris Stuber, Senior Counsel at Costanji, Brooks, Smith, and Profit. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Rich. Hopefully, I got that pronunciation correct. Good enough, I think. All right. Well, today we're discussing uh, an issue that is really interesting in the world of sports um, and law, and one that might be one of first impression. We'll get into that in a little more detail. You wrote a really interesting article uh, on this issue um, that's available on LinkedIn at your profile. But this issue involves Urban Meyer, Jacksonville Jaguars, or Jaguars, depending on your pronunciation, and their kicker, Josh Lambeau. Josh Lambeau uh, sued the Jaguars organization, alleging a hostile work environment, among other things, as a result of an alleged kick that was made by Urban Meyer, who at the time was the head football coach of the Jaguars, an NFL team. He says that uh, during warm-ups, during a preseason game, Urban Meyer kicked him in the leg, and said, you know, you better make your kicks. Josh Lambeau did not uh, appreciate that and sued the team. The background to this uh, story is that Urban Meyer was, I think, one of the shortest-lived uh, NFL coaches in history. I think he, I think he uh, enjoyed the title of fourth sh- shortest NFL tenure in, in coaching history. That came after a very successful career, of course, in college, where he won multiple national championships, three uh, NCAA titles uh, at Florida and Ohio State um, was one of the most celebrated coaching uh, our coaches of all time. And then like many coaches we've seen make the transition from college to the NFL had some uh, difficulties before the Lambeau incident. There was uh, a couple other controversies. Uh, he signed Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow, for example, his former quarterback at Florida to be a, a tight end after he had not played a down of NFL football for, I think five years he was also spotted uh, after a game, rather than take the trip with the uh, team, he was at uh, a Barrios uh, scene on video and uh, a photograph was released of him touching a female that wasn't his wife. So that is all the backdrop to the incident involving Josh Lambeau. Chris, why don't you give us some additional background about the lawsuit and its merits? Yeah, sure. So you've just described the, the poor relationship or, or the problematic relationship Lamb, uh, Meyer was having with the team. And then you described that uh, during one incident, actually, I think it was during training camp in August, uh, Meyer, you know, kicked Lambeau and, and they exchanged words. Uh, Lambeau was subsequently cut uh, in October. Um, well, going back, after he was kicked, Lambeau complained to his agent. His agent complained to the Jaguars. Uh, nothing was, was done at the time. And then Lambeau was cut. And then uh, just last month in May, he filed a lawsuit in Florida state court alleging a single claim of uh, a violation of Florida's Whistleblower Protection Act. Um, this was, a, frankly, a very strange claim. Um, you know, you described it uh, as, as, you know, 
him bringing sort of a workplace uh, misconduct uh, lawsuit, but this is the allegations are that, but the legal claims are not that. Um, and there's, I think, strategic reasons why that turned out to be the case. Um, to go, let's jump into that. Why don't you sure. explain what the Whistleblower Act is and what it usually is used for? Certainly not used in these circumstances, as you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert in, in Florida law or the, or the whistleblower law, but it's fairly straightforward. Which is, if you go to an employer. And you say, hey, there's a legal conduct or something wrong has happened here that may violate some federal or local statute or regulation, and you get fired for it. Uh, that's clearly, you know, violates public policy. And so Florida made a statute that makes that illegal, makes it a, essentially a wrongful termination. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what the, the damages potential is, but um, I think it's just, a, 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 you know, putting in statute what is a public policy and sometimes a common law claim in other jurisdictions. Okay, uh, so what happened next? Yeah, so the reason why the claim is interesting, and, and I'll go back just with a little bit of history of labor law, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, so, you know, beginning the National Labor Relations Act, I think was enacted in, in the 30s um, and has been amended at various times depending upon the state of labor relations in the United States. Um and there are uh, in the, so in the 1940s, um, it was amended again through what's called the Labor Management Relations Act and what's known as Section 301. Um, the Section 301 of that law is, is what's often referred to, which gives federal courts jurisdiction to hear uh, disputes about a breach of a collective bargaining agreement. And um, this comes up quite a bit in the in the sports context. Uh, that's sort of the statutory framework. But then there, you know, in the 1940s, there were no collective bargaining agreements in sports. That only sort of really happening in, in, in the 70s and then into the 80s. And so um, I think that this area of law developed outside sports, but as often the case, ends up having uh, a unique application in the sports industry. And the... Collective bargaining agreements in sports, just like in all other industries, uh, or most of them, have some kind of dispute resolution clause, uh, usually an arbitration mechanism. So I'm sure this applies to the service uh, employees industrial union or the United Auto Workers. Uh, if their employees get in a dispute with their employer, uh, they can bring a grievance and there's probably some, you know, and ultimately they, they can have it arbitrated and, and have a union um you know, the union represent them in that process. Sports is exactly the same way and has been that way since since the 70s. Um, so the as collective bargaining agreements, uh, this I'm trying to, it's multi-layered, but the stand, all players in all sports execute a standard player contract, which is collectively uh, bargained between the union and the league, and therefore is part of the collective bargaining agreement. Therefore, if you are the if you are bringing a suit, uh, or if you have a claim related to your your player contract, um, you would be bringing that as a grievance under the collective bargaining agreement. Um, and this happens dozens of times in every league uh, every year. Uh, the NFL probably has a, a hundred, you know, what are called in the NFL non-injury grievances every year um, about all different types of 
of things related to a player contract or the collective bargaining agreement. Um, but sometimes, as is often the case with employees, they may not want to be in a private arbitration setting for a whole variety of reasons that the Supreme Court has even recently, you know, opined on. And so uh, plaintiffs, uh, players sometimes sue uh, in state or federal court rather than follow the arbitration process outlined in the collective bargaining agreement. Um, and historically, this is unsuccessful. Um, and the reason why is that they developed a, a, um, a, a doctrine, a judicially made doctrine over the time that um, if, your, if your common law claim is, quote unquote, inextricably intertwined with the terms in, of the collective bargaining agreement, um, it is preempted by, by, the Nash, by the Labor Management Relations Act essentially barred by the Labor Management Relations Act. It's saying you have to go through the collectively bargained arbitration grievance process if you want to pursue that claim. You can't just sue in state and uh, federal court. Uh, does that make sense so far? Yeah, right. That's very, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but transitioning to your thought about despite all that, you think that the complaint may survive a motion to dismiss. Explain that. Yeah. So the doctrine I just um, laid out has been has been the reason why many lawsuits brought against leagues and teams have failed over the years. Uh, and often it, it played a major role in the, in the NFL concussion litigation because a major issue in those cases was whether those common law claims of negligence, uh, various kinds of negligence, were... Um, were preempted by the collective bargaining agreement. Did you have to refer to the collective bargaining agreement to, to evaluate those claims? Um, and that, they, those, that, that issue was, was generally never resolved, uh, but was a factor in, in the settlement. So in any event, um, I was involved in a case, uh, the Williams brothers, Kevin and Pat Williams were two Pro Bowl defensive linemen for the Vikings in the 2000s. Um, late 2000s when they were when they were good uh, with Brett Favre as their quarterback, and um, they had failed a, a drug test. Um, well, yeah, they had failed the drug test and ultimately sued in Minnesota state court. Minnesota at the time had a very employee friendly drug testing statute called DATWA uh, that required employees to be given five days notice before they were tested. The, the NFL's steroid policy at the time, admittedly did not comply with this state law. And so um, the NFL, the Williams was sued in state court alleging common law claims like breach of fiduciary duty and negligence, etc., but also a violation of DATWA. Um, and the NFL removed the case to federal court claiming, hey, the claims are barred by the Labor Management Relations Act. And ultimately, the district court and the Eighth Circuit disagreed and said, no, um, you, the, the Labor Management Relations Act does not preempt statutory claims. The NFL was arguing, hey, look, you know, we're running a, um, you know, a nationwide business um, in the interest of national labor policy. The parties should be able to collectively bargain for what they want and not be have to concern themselves with uh, every state's laws on an issue. Essentially that, hey, look, if the, if the parties agree to a drug testing regime that is slightly different from some state's law, 
um, national, you know, the interests of promoting uh, negotiated peace in, in labor relations means you should defer to that arrangement. And Eighth Circuit said, no, um, you have to follow every state's laws. Uh, the NFL sought cert, Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court denied cert. And so that's that's the law. Um, uh, in sports, you know, common law claims are, are likely to still be preempted, but um, leagues cannot uh, escape claims for violations of statutes. And so Lambeau, he did not, if he had sued for breach of contract, uh, you know, a Florida common law claim, it would have certainly been preempted by the Labor Management Relations Act. If he had sued for negligence or even assault, um, it likely would have been preempted. Um, but he didn't. He didn't sue for any of those things. He sued only for a single violation of Florida's statutory whistleblower law. Um, and therefore, you know, the NFL is handcuffed. They cannot claim that the claim, they cannot claim that the, the claim should be preempted under the collective bargaining agreement or that Lambeau should have brought that claim uh, pursuant to the, the grievance process they're in. Um, so, you know, that's definitely annoying to the NFL. Um, but, but that's, that's the, you know, again, I, I don't know whether that was intentional. Lambeau was time barred. The, the NFL quick bargain has a very 50 day statute of limitations for various claims. So he was, you know, six, seven months removed from that. So he couldn't have brought those claims under the collective bargaining anyway. Uh, so they were, his attorneys were obviously digging for whatever they could po possibly find. And they brought a claim under this, uh, Florida whistleblower statute. Assuming it survives, that's really interesting. And that's really, really interesting insight that I think most of us didn't, didn't understand. Um, assuming it survives and it goes to a court, goes to a jury, how do you think the jury would look at the substantive allegations? In other words, does it create a hostile work environment for your coach to kick you at that level? Uh, if that kick did in fact happen, many people, of course, online, uh, on radio shows, I was listening to, you know, some podcasts discussing this, have said, listen, suck it up. It's the NFL. Uh, there are far worse things that happen during any uh, player's career. Um, and, uh, you know, Josh Lambeau wasn't being, I mean, he's a very successful kicker. The numbers bear that out. But, you know, many people are saying, basically stop whining, deal with it. Um, this is an end around trying to, you know, keep your career going. On the other hand, what Drew would also look at is this other background that we talked about with Urban Meyer. Uh, not just with the Jaguars in his short tenure there, but some of the other stops along his career that have been controversial. So how do you think a jury would look at the substantive allegations involved here? Yeah, so, again, I'm not an expert in the application of Florida's whistleblower law, but I'll, I'll give a, a couple of things. You know, what you've described, I think, is the broad view that Lambeau would try to bring into the case, um, describing it as a hostile work environment and uh, trying to include all these bad things um, but the Jaguars, I think fairly would say all that is entirely irrelevant, um, and shouldn't come in as evidence, you know, assuming we got to a, to a trial, um, all that is relevant is the specific language of the statute. So, you know, there's no claim for a hostile work environment. There's no, like, you know, he didn't violate some Florida civil rights law or the federal civil rights law in any way. It's, whether um, he was Lambo was retaliated against for reporting uh, criminal wrongdoing, and so he's saying Meyer's conduct of kicking him was an assault under Florida law that I reported, and I'm being retaliated against for reporting that crime. 
So it seems he has to prove that Meyer's act was a criminal act. Obviously, Meyer was not prosecuted for kicking his player, and obviously numerous coaches and players and players and players have assaulted each other, you know, within the confines of sports um, without criminal prosecution. That That's quite rare. Um, you know, I, I, I think that ultimately whether he was – so assuming he can prove Meyer's action was criminal, which I think is debatable, um, can he prove that he was retaliated against for reporting it? That also seems kind of weak. Um, you know, Meyer or the Jaguars would say, yeah, we, well, I, I guess, you know, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how that bears out because, like, the players get cut all the time in NFL for all different kinds of reasons. But if Meyer were to be on the stand or get deposed and say, yeah, I thought Lambeau was a jerk, I knew he had complained about me and I didn't like that, if he were to be dumb enough to say something like that under oath, uh, Lambeau could have a colorable claim. But if he narrows his testimony to, look, he wasn't kicking well, it was time to try a different kicker, or whatever the case may be, uh, it may be difficult to prove that he was, quote-unquote, retaliated against. Um, there were internal deliberations by the Jaguars. Again, they reported um, – this was reported to the agent, and the Jaguars apparently cons considered what to do about it internally. So um, I can imagine some interesting depositions of the executives involved in the decision-making – um, but again, I like, you know, uh, I don't think Lambo's winning millions of dollars here. Uh, it's more of an interesting case than I think, uh, one that's, you know, has, is going to have a big impact one way or another. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right that all of the other issues alleging hostile work environment probably doesn't come into play. It's, it's sexy and it's, you know, it's, it's of interest, but, I think it's a really narrow uh, question whether, uh, you know, this whistleblower act was violated. Um, and I think to your point, unless there's some smoking gun or unless there's really credible testimony that he was cut from the team because of this action, it's so easy to explain it just based on performance, right? Or, or based on, yeah. you know, lots of other issues except for that allegation. But let's assume, and you mentioned one of the damages, let's just jump to that point for a second. Again, understanding that it's fairly unprecedented and we don't really know uh, how a jury will calculate damages if this whistleblower act is found to have been violated. What do you think? I mean, are we looking at Josh Lambeau, you know, back salary, um, future salary? Of course, you know, once you're cut by an NFL team, you're free to, you know, sign with other teams. But he would inevitably argue that, uh this is impacting not just my tenure with the Jaguars, but my future earning capacity. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one thing I was just going to mention, just thinking about what we were just talking about, is there were three months in between, um, you know, when he reported the assault, quote-unquote, and when he was cut. So that certainly cuts against the idea that the Jaguars retaliated against him. Um, and the extent to which it ultimately played the decision to cut him, you know, I don't know what, what, how much you quantify that, how much that moves the needle. But I mean, I think you're right about the things he's going to be claiming in terms of damages. Um, you know, I, I don't know whether under this law, I would, I would think, well, be curious whether he's obligated to mitigate, try and mitigate damages. Presumably, he wants to continue his NFL career. You know, maybe he'll sign this uh, off season, and theoretically, we'll have almost no damages. Um, 
uh, you know, the, the case is interesting because we just sort of went back and forth about some of the potential testimony, which would lend itself to like uh, not not being decided on summary judgment, um, in which case there could potentially be a trial. Obviously, very few cases reach a trial. The NFL, the Jaguars certainly would not want this case to go to trial. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see. Uh, one, I, I checked the docket this morning. The NFL hasn't, hasn't answered yet. Uh, they, they probably got an extension or something. It's only been about 45 days. But, um, you know, may, I'm sure they're hoping Lambo signs. Um, if they go into discovery, they're going to ask Lambo about his efforts to uh, to try and sign. Like, hey, did you stay in shape? Did you send videos? Did you call teams uh, to show that he was, you know, was he mitigated, trying to mitigate damages? And if he does sign, then the, then the Jaguars may be like, you know, hey, here's 250 grand. Go away. Um, that that is, I think, a reasonably likely outcome. Right. So, just finishing up on that point, last question, and it's really interesting to hear your perspective, Chris, because you're, you know, a veteran in this area, your former general counsel for DC United, and you know, NFL is arguably one of the two or three most uh, profitable, most protected brands on the planet. Uh, litigation of this kind certainly groundbreaking litigation doesn't help anyone. Uh, on the other hand, in order to defend this lawsuit, they have to inherently, the team and the league, defend Urban Meyer, uh, which isn't a really popular move these days, given how uh, he acted and how he departed from the NFL. So if you were counsel to the team, would you recommend, as you just referenced, uh, that this is a good case to get rid of fairly quickly, uh, not because on its merits you don't think it's defendable, but partially because you don't want this kind of negative publicity to continue, especially in the wake of new coach, quarterback coming into, you know, uh, hopefully a, a more successful tenure in the NFL. What would your counsel be to uh, to the team? Yeah, uh, I, I imagine they've done this, which is to, well, first of all, I'm sure they hired uh, – Aiken Gump, their, their outside labor employment firm in, D, in D.C., who does these kinds of just kind of work for them all the time, uh, immediately assess the viability of the claim internally, which would mean conducting interviews with the executives involved in, in the decision to cut Lambeau. And then also Meyer. Uh, I think Meyer, you know, is, is Meyer going to cooperate? He's still, I think, getting paid by the Jaguars unless they try to terminate with him cause. I don't know that that situation could be messy. But uh, he may be under some obligation to cooperate. And if they think they can get Meyer to, you know, if he, if he can credibly testify that, you know, the, the incident had nothing to do with Lambo being cut, then the Jaguars would feel in a, in a comfortable position um, and probably try and negotiate something. Well, either way, I think they're going to want to figure out what the situation is internally, the credit, the strength of their case and then try and negotiate a resolution. For sure, if, if they think, if they find out internally that Meyer sent some email that says, hey, Lambo's been complaining about me, let, let's cut this bastard. Uh, well, then they're gonna have to just write a bigger check, which I think that they would, I don't say gladly do, but they're gonna do a lot to get to uh, a settlement, I think, as you were sort of alluding to. Chris Stewart, thank you so much for joining us on the Sermapod. Really interesting uh, discussion. Uh, everyone, please stay tuned for our next Sermapod. We will be discussing music copyright infringement lawsuits in light of the recent lawsuit involving Mariah Carey. Stay tuned for that. 
Uh, thank you all very much. And Chris, again, thanks for joining us on the Sermapod. Yeah.